You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake the booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Ryan. We are pleased to present to you this two-part episode featuring actor Tiana Paris and author Blair L.M. Kelly. Tiana Paris is an actor that you are probably pretty familiar with, especially if you're a Marvel fan. She's best known for her role as Monica Rambeau in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Disney Plus series WandaVision. She's also appeared in such films such as Candyman, Dear White People, Chirac, as well as TV shows such as Empire, and also she's got an upcoming film which we're talking about on this episode, straight out of the American Black Film Festival, They Cloned Tyrone. That film she co-stars along with actors John Boyega and Jamie Foxx. In our second segment, we welcome author Blair L.M. Kelly. Blair L.M. Kelly, Ph.D., is an award-winning author, historian, and scholar of African-American experience. A dedicated public historian, Kelly works to amplify the histories of Black people, chronicling the everyday impact of their activism. Kelly is currently the Joel R. Williamson Distinguished Professor of Southern Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and the incoming director of the Center for the Study of the American South, the first black woman to serve in that role in the Center's 30-year history. She's on to talk about her latest book called The Roots of the Black Working Class, called Black Folk. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this two-part episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring actor Tiana Paris and author Blair L.M. Kelly. Well, Tiana, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. I am here with you in Miami at ABFF. Yes. We watched The Clones Tyrone, which premiered here last night. Very well received. The crowd went wild. Your character is a delight and really fun. And, you know, Yo-Yo, she's a very intriguing character in this film, and the energy she gives off is very palpable. And she adds a dynamic to this film that has a mostly male cast. So what did you look for in terms of her personality um, to make her stand out? Well, well, first, hi. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, with Yo-Yo, I don't think I had to do much to try to make her stand out. The mm. script itself really gave Yo-Yo a lot to work with. And speaking to Joelle and Tony, the writers, 
um, when I had questions or when I felt like, huh, you know, this isn't really feeling like the character you started to build, you know, is there a, a way we can discuss this aspect of her? They were always open to do that. Um, but she came, the script came with a lot of information about who this woman was. And so I really just had the opportunity to take it and run and just build on from there. But at no point was it ever like, oh, I have to make her stand out. She stands out. <laughs> yes. And you and you played that seamlessly in Thank this you. in this role. Your your character is a sex worker and one of the things that's intriguing is she uses her sexuality as a weapon but also as a line of defense mm -hmm. in this film. I mean you could arguably say that that is also the case for sex workers in, in real life. Um, would you agree that that's a characterization, a fair characterization of your character? That she uses her sexuality as a weapon in this movie or as well as a line of defense? Because we kind of see some um, of those moments play out. I think Yo-Yo uh, definitely uses her sexuality as a line of defense in order to help her community and help those she want, that she cares about. Um, it's also a lifeline for her, a, a way of sustaining herself, um, and she's okay with that. You know, she's ha she speaks about her ambitions that she's had in life and that her dreams and her desires, and how sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And I, what I love about our film is that you have these, what really start off as archetypes that fall into stereotypes that also then fall into, you know, us getting to see these fully fledged humans and their, their desires, their struggles, all of those things. And, and that is what I loved about being a part of this film. It's like, yeah, okay, she's a sex worker and you're going to have all of these pre, you know, these assumptions about who she is as a woman, as a person, but we actually humanize her and say, you know, all of these people clones or human, you know, but we're talking, yo-yo, okay, yeah, we're talking about, you know, whatever they may be, um, uh, have their own journeys and their own stories, and um, we get to see that unfold. I almost gave away something, I was like, wait, wait, let me <laughs> like, track that, right, no, no, one. yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay, because I, I, what I really loved about this film and I loved about the script is it's so easy to make Yo-Yo a one-dimensional character, mm -hmm. but you do see those layers unfold, and you do see, you know, her humanity and all aspects of her slowly evolve as this story trends mm -hmm. along. So um, it's so well told and so well done. Thank you. There's also some really funny moments in this film. As I mentioned, like the crowd really went wild during the screening last night, and really great laugh lines throughout the film. Uh, and, it, it, and it played well in the theater. Was it challenging for you at times, though, to stay focused while doing those lines and those funny zingers with your co-stars, notably with Jamie Foxx? <laughs> Absolutely. It was hard at times. Yo-Yo uh, and Slick Charles are a dynamic duo, very dynamic, and they really serve as the, the firecracker to... John's character Fontaine he's more of a metronome and you just have Yo-Yo and Slick setting off stuff all around him um and so Jamie the legend master of craft of comedy all of the things that he is he would do what was on the script in the script 
And then he would play. And I never knew what to expect when Jamie was going to play. And so I just tried to stay on my A game, ready to go back and forth with him or shut him down, whatever it was Yo-Yo was trying to do in that moment. Um, so it definitely kept me on my toes. Yes, Jamie definitely did. There's a scene where it kind of looked like it was hard for you to stay. Which one? I'll tell you if I laughed or not. Which one are you talking about? Well, I'm going to actually ask this question because okay. it, it, it's in the scene. There's a great scene with you and Jamie Foxx in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys randomly break into song. And I want to know, because it, it did kind of look like you almost <laughs> broke character a little bit. But was that improvised or was that scripted? So... First of all, you're right. I broke. I was like, I don't know if people are going to notice or not. But And I also didn't know if Joel would use it. But again, that was written in the script for Jamie, for, for Slick Charles to sing the song. And so it was always just him. And then in that take, you could see Jamie pause. And so I'm listening like, should I jump? Then I jump in and you can see me make the choice to go in. But then I'm like, oh, shit, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what do I say? Like, I got to rhyme and finish it off, you know, or whatever. And so once I said the last line, Tiana was so proud that I actually kept up. And it was fun. And it was funny that I did kind of break. <laughs> and I think I did actually laugh and they just cut out of it um, because I was like, this is hilarious. And it was just so much fun. And also showing like Jamie is just such a generous artist for like, it's funny and would have been funny all by himself for him to do that. But he teed it up and let me jump in there. And, you know, we didn't talk about that or anything, but also that speaks to the chemistry and synergy we all had as a trio where I felt he was giving that to me and he hit it with the beat behind it. And so I, I was gassed up like, yeah. And then, you know, and John's character, uh, Fontaine, looking at us like, what the hell are y'all doing? It was just like that was the energy and synergy that – uh, was present throughout our entire time filming and so that was fun but I did break I did I think they cut out of <laughs> it really quickly yeah, you, you have to pay attention really focused it's very very mild very, very subtle. <laughs> did, did Jamie like him being the legend that he is did he coach you guys at all through oh, some of those moments I, no Jamie did not I wouldn't say he coached at all Jamie was present and open and led by example for sure but he allowed I felt he allowed me to be my own artist and come with my own process and he was there for me um and all of us in whatever ways we need it so in that sense sure he is a coach and a leader and someone I've looked up to forever and truly enjoyed his work so yeah sure you know uh leading by example but um, did he like ever come over and say X, Y, Z? No. But if you asked him a question or like I, I went up to him one time and was like, man, you coming up with all these improvs and I don't know what to say back because I'm not a, I can't always, we, we call it cracking when you crack on people. Like if you grow up with brothers and stuff or cousins and y'all cracking on each other, yeah. you're like, with your, with your 
big head, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, mine are very basic. Jamie's <laughs> were funny. And I'm like, I don't know how to crack on people like that because I think I'm a little too nice. And so I don't want to say something that's going to be mean. And so I was like, give me some um, jokes, man. And so he gave me, he roasted himself or his character and was like, there you go. And he so he gave me jokes that I could use to so that uh, Yo-Yo could come back at his character, Slick Charles. And, you know, because she's a character who can stand toe-to-toe with him at any time. Um, but Jamie, the actor, <laughs> you know, he's he's who he is, legendary in the comedy. And Tiana <laughs> needed a little <laughs> assistant. I need a little tea there, you know, toss it to me, and I got it. So that was fun. It worked really well in the film. Thank you. I'm not spoiling by saying this, because we see it in the trailer, but... Uh, Yo-Yo has this really cool superhero pose that she gives with, you know, the gun oh, and oh, all oh. that. Um, which, you know, kind of is a nice uh, homage to black exploitation For sure. But it is a superhero pose as well. I'll take so, it. So, who would put more time and effort into their superhero pose? Yo-Yo or Monica Rambeau? Oh. Uh, yo Who would put more effort into the pose? Yo-Yo. I think Monica has no time for those sorts of shenanigans. Yo-Yo could find the time and then also still go, you know, discover these governmental conspiracies. But Monica, no, that's that's beneath anything she has going on. She's worried about the science, the how we're going to get this done, and the all the other things, but not the post. <laughs> not the post. <laughs> And I know we got to wrap soon. My, my last question, you know, we hear Black Girl Nerds. We're excited for Monica. Oh, thank you. And the Marvels that's coming up. So, you know, Monica has gone by a lot of aliases in the comics. So in the Marvels, we'll give you a mention of some of the other names that she's known for by the comic readers. And will we see more of an exploration of her lore in the film? As far as the names... You will see, you will learn what she's going to go by. That is what I will say. Um, I think it's okay to say she gets a superhero name. I, if it's not, oh gosh. Um, but, I mean, in the trailer, you see her in a superhero suit. So I think it's okay to say that. If not, girl, you done got me in trouble. <laughs> but um, you, with the Marvels, you will get to see more of who Monica is and what she's been doing since we last saw her in WandaVision and what her journey has been um, now that she's got these new powers. Um, and so that, I think that will be exciting. Well, I'm so excited for this film. I'm Thank excited you. for the Marvels coming up. Thank you. All the best to you in your career. Thank and you, so you for being a supporter of Black Girl Nerds. I see that you Thank have you. liked our tweets on Instagram. Yes, I love so, y'all. Yeah. Y'all show so much love to me. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yes. Welcome to the Black Grinners Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And you know, we're coming off of Juneteenth. There's a big discussion or continued discussion about black history in schools and how important it is. And me personally, I kind of feel like there's just a spotlight on black people history, right? Like just our focus of like, you know, what is what are the what are the parts of our backgrounds that people want to try to deny? or cover up or stuff that we still don't know about ourselves because maybe you're afraid to ask or you don't know where to look. 
So I'm so excited about this episode because we're going to dive into the history of the Black working class. You always hear about the working class, but not necessarily the Black working class and how that fits into our culture and how, you know, whether it was the freed slaves, where it was just slavery, period, how a lot of those systems and practices and mindsets have stayed with us. I know I was definitely shocked by the information I found reading this wonderful new book called Black Folk, The Roots of the Black Working Class, done by the lovely, she is here joining me today, um, the lovely Dr. Blair L.M. Kelly, and she is an award-winning author, a historian, and a scholar of the African-American experience. Blair, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so exciting to talk to you. And I just, I like I told you before we started recording, I love this book because it was so, it was such an eye-opener in a different way to think about when we're always talking about slavery and what emancipation means and getting your 30 acres and a mule. Like, what did that actually mean and how that's kind of stayed with us, you know, going throughout the generations? But yeah, I, I think of, it, go ahead, it's go really ahead. powerful. It's, it's yeah. really powerful to think about those questions and to start at the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and I kind of want to talk to you, speaking to of like listeners that aren't aware of your background, your story, you know, catching up. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, what was the light bulb moment for you where you were like, okay, I need to make this my mission in a sense. I want to amplify the history of Black people. Like this is important. When, when did that click for you? Well, I've, I've been a historian my whole working life. Um, it's something that I've wanted to do and I've been passionate about um, since high school. I, I remember, you know, irritating my teachers going to the library and doing research on Black people because they weren't teaching us enough. Yeah. And so for me, you know, my draw to history and my draw to study the Black experience is a continual one. And so the things that I'm talking about in Black folk, there, there's no light bulb. This is sort of the light stays on for mm -hmm. me. Um, and I just had this amazing opportunity to to write Black folk um, in part because of a conversation of like, you know, with my editor of where is the black working class. You know, we talk a lot about the white working class. There's a book called White Trash um, that was very popular. Uh, the hillbilly elegy stuff that was very popular and very interesting to people. But he was interested in sort of figuring out like, well, where is the black working class? And um, I was interested in sort of exploring that from the point of view of my family and making it uh, personal, not a memoir, but very personal to the experience of my ancestors, but connecting that personal human history to the archive and doing the research and, and finding out more and finding out all I could uh, to tie that story together. And what, um, you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, not a biopic, but, you know, tracing your family history, the ancestry. How did you know where to start or where did you start? My, my mother um, was considered to be an older mom at the time. Not now. I think she would be just completely normal. But she said she was the oldest woman on the, the ward. You know, they, they let you stay in the hospital when I, she gave birth to me. So that's how long ago it was. And <laughs> she, I think she thought because of our age gap, she wanted me to understand the world she grew up in. And so she told me lots of stories from her upbringing. There's a whole bevy of stories I have not included here because they weren't that relevant. Uh, to this book, or maybe they'll be relevant to another book. But she also told me a lot of stories about her parents and her grandparents and the things that they had been through and survived because she wanted me to 
um, as a person who grew up in a world that was post-civil rights, post-segregation, um, she wanted me to appreciate the journey. And although I had rights and access that uh, she could not have had as a young person, she wanted me to know and appreciate that th this was a change mm -hmm. and that we had been a long way to get there. And so she started telling me the story. So the story I used at the very beginning, the introduction to the book is a story she told me all the time um, about her grandfather um, working as a sharecropper, realizing that the man who owned the land would never give a real just settlement to him. And he would always say um, he owed money at the end of the year. So my grandfather solicitor Duncan packed up um, his children, his wife, and he he ran in the nighttime. And she always said, like, runaway slaves. Um, because she wanted me to understand that the conditions of inequality and violence continued long after slavery for our ancestors. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you pause for a minute because it's just, it's powerful to think about, okay, right, in this, in the doing air quotes here, when you're supposed to be freed, and you're owed mm -hmm. a certain property or owed this money, but it's like, oh, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. We can get away. Nobody's going to question this. We're not really going to give yes. you this, but this is what you're supposed to have. Yes. And if you questioned it, you would be killed. You would be targeted. Yeah. You would be killed. And there would be no one coming to help you. So um, no one coming to help your family with the aftermath of you speaking up. So he knew he had to go. And so that story and a bunch of the different stories I include were stories my mother told me all my life. And some of the stories were stories that she told me right before she died, like in the maybe three or four years before she passed away, she started to tell me other stories that were a little bit even more difficult and more challenging. Um, and I include so many of them here because they give that human aspect to the larger sweeping general story that I think so many Black Americans share uh, in these generations. Yeah, and I think too, I think some of the stuff when you're talking about just generationally and just like the mindset of, you know, how far we've come and just thinking about what our ancestors were up against. And we always mm -hmm. talk about like, you know, a brick wall, a glass ceiling. Well, sticking mm -hmm. with the story you're talking about, Solicitor um, Duncan and Brunel, okay, he might have an opportunity. It might not be the best job, but he can have mm -hmm. an opportunity, right, of going to be a carpenter, you know, and they'll probably send him places where, you know, very racist areas you were mentioning. You probably have to travel mm -hmm. too far. It's not the best, but there's the opportunity. Whereas mm -hmm. now you talked about automatically household work. Like you don't see any yes. other thing past that as automatic household work. And I was just thinking about that mentality that can kind of stay with black women, you know, even today. You know, that mindset yes. of like, where do you go? You know, there's so many different fields where we're always the first one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And those were the stories of my, my grandmother, Brunel Duncan. Um, I didn't know. So when I was a little girl, she worked at the Philadelphia Navy Yard. She was a typist. You know, she she was very proud of the job. And so I never knew that she, for probably more than a decade, uh, did household work that she was a live-in maid for a white family in West Philadelphia. And those were the stories that my mother began to unfurl for me. I think they didn't want me to know because 
my grandmother was so disappointed in that, that she had migrated. She had um, a high school education. She was so proud of that. And the time when, um, you know, many black people did not have access to high school. They didn't even have high schools for black people in certain areas. And so her education was a point of pride, but it didn't matter. Um, it didn't move her any farther up the ladder when she moved to Philadelphia. And um, she had to do that work. She had to give up my mom um, during the week, every week, and try to pick her up on the weekends when she could or on her days off on Thursdays and, and try to you know be with her. And so my mom always said, you know, I was slightly not like her kid because, you know, my early years were with my own mom and dad. And so I think that disappointment resounded through the, the generation. And so that my mother wanted me to know when I was an older person, and I, you know, I'm a whole historian at that point, and she wanted to start to unpack the, the most difficult things that her mother had faced as a young woman. She was 19 when she migrated. Oh, man. I just, it's just, it's, it's just, um, I don't know, like, you don't even know the word to put to it, to imagine being um, a Black woman. A Black woman today, you know, still has, has its limitations that we're still yes. fighting through. But imagine being 19, like back in those times, and that's, you're at the very forefront of even, you know, beginning to to change people's perception of you or, or where to start. And I remember one thing you said that resonated to me when I was reading was their enslavement had ended, but their, uh, the assumption still lives on. And I was thinking about yes. that. I was like, yeah. there's so many different, like if you just, if there's so many different fields, it could be tech, it could be education. It can mm -hmm. be, you know, finance or whatever. And it's always mm -hmm. this assumption, Hollywood, when you talk about films, and there's yes. always this assumption that we have to do X, Y, and Z before yes. it is proven that this is what, you know, this is what we represent. We can do this. Yeah. And how I'm wondering, often have you walked into a room and people have mistook you for someone who doesn't belong there? Exactly. So mm -hmm. I'm, I was curious for you, when you were writing this book, are you ever thinking do you start to wonder, is that assumption ever going to change? Because I feel like we're constantly, like, years to come, we're constantly still fighting that. I mean, you know, we have to keep doing the work. And, and things are changing, but it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, even writing a book that's just about Black people, you know, this book isn't about, um, it doesn't center uh, what white people think of Black people. It centers what Black people think of themselves and how they move in the world and and that alone is a new way of, of framing things for so many people they they want to know you know what's that hook what's that catch that um isn't about black people but for me you know that i think black people are interesting all on our own and we stand on our own and we can do so much more than the world assumes and i'm glad that there's finally some space for those kinds of things but it's it's been too long it's really yeah. been too long. Yeah, you're wondering if there's like the, you know, you wish you could put like a date on it. Like, okay, by this date, we'll have done <laughs> this much, right? You know what I mean? Like, you wish you could be like, Absolutely. We, we will have proven. Like, our ancestors will have taken enough. We will have done this. And right by this day, you realize, okay, we can do this. You know, like, we don't always have, like, you know, just because we walk <laughs> into a room, you have no idea what to do with us. Doesn't mean we can't do the job. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I was posting last year, I made full professor um, at my old institution. And then I 
Um, got a distinguished professorship at my new institution, which hey. you know, sounds sound good. And, you yeah, know, yeah, I black yeah. women are one percent of full professors in the United right. States. Yep, so they, I, yep, exactly. And yeah, I was yeah. the first at my old institution, first black woman to, to make full professor. And people were like uh, black people love to be the first. Something. And I wasn't saying like that, like, oh, me. I was saying right. like, dang, 2022, mm-hmm. I'm the first. Yeah. That's not good. That's not a point of pride. I don't want to be the first anything. I would like to be the 20th or the 50th of everything yeah. that I move into because it it is it is a long time coming and it's past due. So, yeah. you know, this this earlier working generation, they they kicked open those doors for us and made things possible. It's time to to make sure that we can really reap the, the benefits of change and yeah, I, to have I people kinda... throw those old assumptions out. Right, exactly. I was gonna say I like how people just jump right to the conclusion of you wanted to brag about being the first. I was like, you realize she's the first because it's like one percent of the education is probably <laughs> black. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, too few. People... It's too yeah, few. Exactly. It's like why do people just skip? I'm like, hello. Why do people just skip over that part of it? I'm like, you don't have to be the first. Like you don't have to be the first. Oscar, you know, Oscar winner, second. Da da da. People, more people were open. You know, the door was open to more people. Yes, we're not excited about being first. I don't think, I think everybody at this point is like, wow, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, like still 2023 and you like, are you serious? Like, it's just, it's, yes. it's insane that it's like, it's not, you know, you keep trying to push it forward. You're like, okay, move it this year. We're going to move it a little bit further and hopefully it's going to stay there. And then we keep pushing yes. it, but yes. It's, it's That's like, that it's part, that part, that stay there part. Mm, that's something mm-hmm. to think about because sometimes, you know, we make yeah. progress on things that have eroded and you know i think that this book was a reminder of that too that there was a lot of things that were were gained that you know are tenuous now and that we may not be able to hold on to yeah and i want to touch on one more story too because i don't want to get too deep because i want everybody to go pick this up um again guys (laughs) it's called black folk the roots of the black working class because like seriously god like pick this up and read it like detail sit down get comfortable on your couch you know may you know i know everybody shout out like sometimes they're allergic to picking up the old paperback and read it but i'm just you know keep it old school sometimes and you know pick it up and read it. it could be you know potentially audiobook but you know it'll um, be an audiobook very soon hey there you go look look <laughs> blair said i got you so yeah get your audio i got you it's gonna to be listen. real big i'm gonna relaunch with the audiobook y'all gonna love it <laughs> Oh, wait look, and see. Look, wait, yeah. you're gonna be some secrets coming here. Exactly. Yeah. See, see, things, you gotta, you gotta things, get into things. the. Yeah, it's gonna be some good things, but yeah, you gotta get into this. But the story that stuck with me that I was like, I have to ask her about this because it has been on my mind ever since. Okay, so hmm. there was a story about um, we're talking about black women. They're usually in the household working at the in this mm-hmm. time period. You know, right after um, you know being free, say you know, hey, I can promise you if you migrate here, you'll get more money. This will be your job. But they're working in mm-hmm. these households and you're thinking mm-hmm. about these white families that they're around, how separated they are, you know, the things yes. that they, you know, the long hours they worked. And there was yes. a, you talked about a black woman that collapsed and died mm-hmm. and nobody mm-hmm. knew who she was. Like the tribute, the Philadelphia Tribune puts her description as a pose just so she won't have an unmarked grave, but nobody yeah. knew. And the reason it hit me was because you think about going into these different departments, these different areas, and you being like the first, the first black woman here, the first black woman there. And you, and people don't realize for us how uncomfortable it feels sometimes to be Mm -hmm. in the office. And you're like, you know, maybe you have two people, two black people in the office. It's the one black woman in office. And she's not really sure how to, 
you know, uh, they're they're like not sure how to talk to her. She's not sure how to approach them. So maybe it's just mm -hmm. a separation of employees in the office. And, you know, mm -hmm. they don't really know a lot about you. And that struck me because I'm like, so back, it's like you're carrying this on generations and generations because we're like, okay, we're going to get the job done. We're going to keep our head mm -hmm. down in a sense. We're going to stay focused and do this. But where mm -hmm. is the community in that? Where is the, you know, Black women be able, you know, learn, knowing how to, you know, take some time for themselves, you know, get what they need mm -hmm. out of it instead of just working so hard because that's what we're programmed to do. Yeah, I think that the the isolation that these household workers had in that first generation, that story, you know, was a gut punch for me when they were, you know, they described her coat, her dress, her shoes mm -hmm. with the hopes that her family might read the paper, you know, after their their mother or their sister was missing and, and come get her so she wouldn't be in a pauper's grave. And that anonymity, that loneliness that she must have felt, she just, you know, picked up and worked for people who didn't even bother to learn her name. Yeah. Um, that's that's powerful. But the degree to which you're saying, you know, in our own moment that we we aren't known sometimes in our workspaces, we aren't embraced as part of the community in, you know, isolated circumstances. And so I, I do think that that is a, a continuation. But but hopefully we have the resources to, you know, support each other across um you know, using the internet, using social media, uh, finding community in new ways. And, you know, those Black women workers did that same thing. They didn't have social media now. They didn't have the Twitter. <laughs> but they, you know, they were on streetcars and they were on stoops and they talked and they built networks and they were like, hey, are you from the same place I'm from? And so they started clubs based on where they were from, where they had migrated. Mm. And they they remade that community that supported each other. And that's such an amazing thing. They built the things they needed. The world didn't have them, but they built them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's what, I think that's the thing that really stayed with me um, finishing the book was being able to build that and to realize, like, you have to know, like they always say, right. You have to know your history. You have to understand mm -hmm. all the, you know, the intricacies, the stories, you know, the things that our, our grandparents might tell us. They were like, oh, I don't have time to listen to that. Listen. Because, you know, that's mm -hmm. stuff that stayed with you. And, and um, you know, it's wonderful that you took that time. You were like, okay, well, let me sit down and listen to what my mom has to say. And let me change, mm -hmm. you know, let me do some research and change this into something. Because we don't realize how that kind of that stuff stays with you. Because we don't take enough yeah. time to kind of realize that impact, you know, before. What our ancestors had to do. Because you're thinking, okay, no, we're past it. But we're really not. Because you're still the first one yeah. in most of these rooms. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful to to listen. Um, and to be a listener. And I think, you know, my mother who passed away about 10 years ago, uh, she really, you know, was a storyteller and she would literally tell me the same thing so that they are imprinted on me in a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember to share the stories of what we've been through with our children when they're coming up. We have to remember to share with our nieces and nephews um, to give that perspective, to to pass down family stories. Um, to record them, I'm, I'm an avid oral historian and I use a lot of oral histories in this book. And so much of our, our story is valuable, even if you know, folks are everyday people, um, the ways in which everyday people have extraordinary things to share with the world about our condition is, is so important. So listen, record, ask questions um, of your ancestors and of your folks, because it, it really is valuable.
Yeah, yeah, you never know, like just the the impact it can have to to read those stories. And talking about like just the technology of you know having things recorded and the way things are advancing and what we can do now with these stories. Now that we're starting to dig a little deeper and find out, you know, the impact of like the new technology, the automation. What are you what are you noticing in terms of like the black working class? Have you noticed anything that's different? Anything that helps like you know, adaptation to these changes a little easier because of automation and the new technology? Well, the one thing I do want to shout out new technology for in terms of my my own job and yeah. researching Black folk mm. is, you know, when I wrote my first book, there was no um, uh, Ancestry.com. There was no newspapers.com. Mm. So I literally sat with like microfiche, old copies of newspapers and rolled film you know, reading day by day, looking for the thing I was looking for. And then you took, you know, hours and hours to find like one thing. You'd be so excited about that one little thing you found. And now I can type in, you know, the search terms that are of interest to me and have a hundred articles and that I can now look through that I know include that word or those sets of words. And it really revolutionized how much and how broad I could make the research. The other piece was, um, you know, having ancestry, have those census documents, which again, were by hand, we were on rolls and I'm reading one by one the census document. And I did that, you know, when I wrote the first project, but this one, I, you know, ran into a, a beautiful oral history project that I wanted to um, complicate because I knew that, the, you know, the black woman's story of a, a woman named Sarah Hill, who was served as a washerwoman, I knew her story was more interesting than the white lady who was interviewing her would let it be. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, maybe I can find her on the census. But I was like, oh, her name is Sarah Hill. That's kind of an average name. It may not even pop up. (laughs) And then I put it in and she was the first name. And because I knew her husband's name and her children's name, I was like, that's really her. And I could trace her through decades um, working as a washerwoman, you know, from a, being a young woman who migrates to Athens, Georgia, and all through her life <clears throat> through the 1940s, where the, the census currently stopped. So it, it's just so powerful to be able to, you know, have these things at, at your fingertips in a way that we couldn't before. And so I encourage everybody, you know, if there are things that interest you about your family, you know, work on that and try. If there are questions that interest you, you know, get into Ancestry, get into newspapers.com. I know that the reason that they built those um, databases are not the same reasons that we have, but okay. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great yeah, resource. You can use it. Yeah. You can make it work for you. Um, I'm curious too, to kind of wrap us up here. What um, we talked about, you know, we don't want to mention the first again, because we hope it'll be more, but you know, yes. going into the position, right. Of being the director um, of the center of study of Americans of the American South, which is very important. Yes that we have somebody that's, that's emphasized on that um, at um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The what, first in 30-year um, period. I know, right? <laughs> I was looking at that. 30-year history, people. That's why it's important. That's why we say first. Can you believe this? It's insane. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay. in North Carolina, so I'm very, you know, uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a yeah. big deal, people. It's a big deal. So I w- I'm curious from you, like, how are you, what are you most looking forward to you know, as you're kind of like processing, stepping into this? I'm very excited about the center. Um, I have a really great staff, um, oral history project that uh, is is historic at Chapel Hill. The Southern Oral History Project is housed there. 
we have a great journal, uh, Southern Cultures, that's housed there. We do great, wonderful programming with our graduate students and our undergrad students. And we have a physical house. You know, a lot of people have centers that are mythical, magical in, in their minds. Mm-hmm. And I have a building, a beautiful historic home that was built after slavery. Hey, hey and there we go. <laughs> is is well maintained and has a beautiful porch. And so just calling people together, particularly in this like post-COVID moment, mm-hmm. just having space and being in space with people, being in conversation and hearing music and looking at art and participating in um, projects and recording things is going to be so exciting. Uh, we're celebrating our anniversary year and I'm I'm ready. My heart is ready. I see all kinds of things. I have to keep it in check because I have a budget. But, you know, bringing the budget in... always some... trying to hold us back, huh? <laughs> well, you got to work on it. You got to work on that too. But really bringing in great speakers and, and wonderful folks who need to be in conversation, not only with our students, but with the whole community. Um, n- not just in Chapel Hill, but also in... in, in the triangle i'm so excited about it it's a a great opportunity to lead yeah that's going to be phenomenal yeah to have like that you know that voice the culture the perspective you're going to bring so yeah that's people gonna have to be on the lookout for that that's going to be amazing like you said an actual building with a port you better get it girl (laughs) it's cute i bet like it sounds really cute i'm like i need to i need to get over there i'm like i'm not even college student i'm like let me just figure out how to be over I mean, I think you're doing important Southern work right now. You, I, I don't see a reason why you can't stop by. <laughs> hey, listen, I got my invitation. You don't got to tell me twice. I got the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, uh, guys, go pick up Black Folks. Or get, or actually, Blair, let me say the whole title so everybody gets Black Folk, um, the Roots of the Black Working Class. Blair, what can you tell us about? Like, when is it coming out? How are we preparing? When can we expect uh, It's out. So this is like the... It's, it's been out it's out it just anywhere hey. books are sold right. i sold it at my church and they thought you know i was self-publishing i was like no really you can get it in any bookstore <laughs> you want <laughs> really go be there and if it's not there you can order it and they'll get it hey. and you can buy you it go online. order it go buy it go get it get it from your black bookseller get it from your favorite local place it's, it's available and i'm so proud of it and um you know it's bigger than me it's it's mm-hmm. you know really infused by the spirit of all our ancestors and I love the conversations that it's sparking so you know come out and see me I'm on tour hopefully a place near you and all that stuff's online so you know I'm excited hey, look it up you guys go check out the book get ready for the audio book you can listen to it in the morning when you like oh yeah. working it's gonna sound pretty I can't <laughs> tell you yet but it's gonna sound good Get you some inspiration in the morning. Check it out, Blair. Yes. I appreciate you. This has been a blast. Um, thank you for this book. Thank you for continuing to research and and keep pushing it forward so we can quit hitting these brick walls one day. So yeah, thank you for everything. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Black Girl Nerds Podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.